You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Well, special thanks to the the Clash. Uh, That is the question we're talking about today. Uh, Should I stay or should I go? So I want to go back to 2015 to some college students in New York City. Uh, the, The city, the college is Hunter College. Hunter College in New York City. It's 2015. In April and May, they did a six-week study of traffic. And we're trying to figure out this vital question. Does the first driver, after the light turns from yellow to red, stop? Or do they enter the intersection? It's a very important question. So think in your mind. They fanned out over six weeks, 50 different intersections in New York City. Uh, some four, almost 4,400 vehicles or moments. Light turns yellow to red. First car after that. Do they enter the intersection or not? Think in your mind how many New York City drivers fail to observe that. What percentage would you say? Huh. It's actually almost 10%. Almost 10% of drivers, Hunter College found, in New York City, like 8.7, almost 10%. One out of 10 cars go into the intersection. By the way, if you don't know that, that is illegal. I don't know if you realize they're not driving in our community as well. I might have done that once or twice as well. Uh, so just think in your mind, what would be the worst intersection? Like the highest percentage of the 50, they rated them, the average was 10%. The highest percentage you could think of, fathom in New York City, what percentage would that be? 40%. 40% of drivers do not go near 88th and 4th. 40% of drivers enter the intersection after the light turns from yellow to red. So think about traffic lights for just a second. So traffic lights are designed to coordinate traffic to let you know when you go. Green means go. Red means stop. Yellow, I don't know if you realize this or not, does not mean go faster. I've seen some of you people. On the road, apparently this means go faster. No, it doesn't. Yellow means use caution, slow down, yield. That's what yellow means. And so here's the question we have for today. Um, is God guiding you to go or to stay? Like in your life right now, God guides you. Now, if you're an atheist or agnostic, you're like, God never guides me. And I would say, uh, could you please hold that loosely for a moment? Maybe you'll realize uh, through our time together that God is guiding you when you didn't even realize it. Uh, but is God guiding you? Maybe he's guiding you to go. Okay, so you have you got sideways with somebody. And they're the ones at fault. So they can talk to me when they're good and ready. Well, maybe you'd be the bigger person. The more Christ-like person. And it's time for you to go to them and start that conversation. Maybe it's time for you to go apologize to somebody. Or go share your faith with somebody. Or go on a mission trip. It's time for you to go. God's flashing green. Go. Take that risk. You don't want to take that risk. God calls you to take that risk. It's time to take that risk. God's flashing yellow at you right now. He's guiding you to yield. Do you seriously need your way all the time? Yield. Use caution. Maybe you're going the wrong direction. Yield. Slow down. He's flashing yellow. Slow down. Your life... Is so intentionally scheduled busy, there's no time for him. Or being led of the Spirit to talk to people. How about red? Is God flashing red at you? He's guiding you to stop. Stop the madness. 
Stop the negativity. Stop just looking at the glass half empty lifestyle you have instead of just focusing what you don't have. What if you just listed the things you do have and thank God for those kinds of things? Stop the addictions. Stop focusing on the negative. Stop. Stop quenching the spirit. Stop. Is God guiding you to go or to stay or to yield? Like what is God trying to do in your life these days? That's our topic. So we're going to uh, pray and then we'll dive in. Father, I do pray. I know you guide all of us all the time in just different ways. I pray that you would guide us in in our conversation today. Help us to be um, mentally alert, um, spiritually aware, waiting for that moment when it becomes clear that's our moment with you. That's the reason you had us gather because you wanted to guide us in in an area of our life. Maybe there's multiple areas, but I pray that you would guide us, help us to be spiritually alert listening for your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, I pray you be lifted up, glorified. People could just focus on you, Jesus. You are the reason we gather. You are the hope of the universe. You are the Lord and the creator and the savior and the risen one. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this week. If you want to turn your Bibles to Acts 8, I'll give you a quick reset of where we were last week. So we're in a series right now, five weeks to the book of Acts. A sweep of the book of Acts called Go Time. It's about the the apostles 2,000 years ago on the Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem, were given the gospel, this baton to pass throughout the world, every man, woman, and child. That mission is not yet done. And so, uh, reset from last week, there was this larger global discomfort zone goal, event, global evangelism. And then he says the path to global evangelism is two comfort zone steps. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, and being assembled together with them, that's on day number 40. Jesus is risen, 10 different appearances, he's about to ascend to heaven, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And of course, we said last week that the path to global evangelism starts with us taking simple comfort zone steps. Today's step, go back to Jerusalem. Just can you walk two and a half laps down the hill, up the hill into that city and wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the path to global evangelism still this day. God calls us to take our steps. We take that step of faith. Today's step, don't know where that's going to lead tomorrow. Then here's this global discomfort zone goal when he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 now. Acts 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. He shared my name that I'm alive in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, there's this global discomfort zone goal, which, by the way, is not yet finished. This is still our baton to take to every man, woman, and child in this world, and then take it to the city, Jerusalem, then to your area, Judea, neighboring area. You don't kind of visit, you kind of avoid those people who are not like you, Samaria, the end of the earth. Next picture is a map of the way uh, first century uh, Holy Land looked in Jesus' day. I want to point out three areas and three cities, three areas. First of all, Judea and Galilee, those are the Jewish areas, the green areas, the safe areas. Uh, Judea was where Jerusalem was, and those people consider themselves the more cultured people. They looked down on the backward, kind of the country accent Galileans. Jesus was born in just south of Jerusalem in Bethlehem, five miles south in Bethlehem. 
So he's born in Judea, raised in Nazareth. So he also had the country accent. And that's where much of his ministry was located, in the middle of Samaria. Those were traitors, religiously and racially. Racially, they blended Judea, the Jews and Gentiles intermarried. Religiously, they blended Judaism and pagan religion, created their own version of Judaism. They despised these people. Three cities to point out. Jerusalem is where our story starts today. Uh, that's where the early church was. It starts with 120 small church. Everybody knew everybody in the early church until Acts 2, when 3,000 people are added in one day. Now they have a church of 3,120 and nobody knows anybody. And then uh, a couple chapters later, they had 5,000 guys, not counting women and children. It's a church of 120 to now over 15,000. That's a giga church. And they were called to go out throughout the world. Two other cities to point out. One is the dot on the eye of Samaria. That dot is where the city of Samaria was. It's kind of like New York. You have New York, New York. New York City in New York State. Samaria, Samaria. Samaria is the city in Samaria, the state. And then finally, one more city is Gaza. Gaza's kind of down around here where my hand is. We're going to see a, des- a deserted road down here. Down, it's going to come into play in our story. God guides us in multiple ways. He really does. And so is God guiding you these days? One of the ways he could guide you, number one, God guides through circumstances. He guides through circumstances. Now, this is not a lot of fun to be guided with circumstances. Uh, not a lot of fun, to be honest. Sometimes it's fun. Um, I'll give you an example of years ago being guided in circumstances. I was, uh, I was graduating college. Um, Looking for a job. I felt like God wanted me to explore being a pastor or missionary. Didn't know for sure if that would be the case. So uh, put out 50, 60 resumes. Sent them from California back to Kansas City. I asked God, give me one good job. Just one good job offer. Guess what? I got one job offer. That's it. I'm an engineer. A computer systems engineer. Uh, HNTB, don't want you. Birds of McDonald, can't fool with you. Finally, Black and Beach gave me a legitimate offer. I did get a half-baked offer from DST at the last minute. wasn't even a real offer. Well, we kind of thinking about offering you something. I had a summer internship. Apparently, they had enough of me. And so when I, I went to... I didn't have to go... Like, do you pray about this at one point? The circumstances showed me I had one offer. By the way, I asked for one offer. I got one offer. Sometimes God guides you through circumstances. How does he guide you? Money. I got the money. I don't have the money. He guides you through circumstances. Approval. Agreement. I got in. I didn't get in. He guides you through circumstances. Health. Life. Could it be the thing that you are cursing God about or angry at God over right now is the very thing he's using to guide you to a better future? You just don't see it because he's guiding you through your circumstances. So in the story, by the way, they're stuck in Jerusalem. They will not go to Judea. They will not go to Samaria. They will not go to the world. So God lets circumstances, really hard times happen to get them moving because that's what he called them to do. They're stuck in the revival in Jerusalem and they won't go. I see this happen in churches too. Churches become too inward focused. Too about themselves, not others. Too much of a closed group. God will do things, allow things to scatter them to get the gospel elsewhere. Cross-pollinization in churches. It's a healthy thing. And so here we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Here's the story. Um, crisis happens. Acts 8, 1 says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. 
Okay, at the height, they have this, mega, this giga church of 15,000 people. One of their leaders, Stephen, gets brutally murdered between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. Like, taken outside and stoned to death. At, and at Saul was Paul holding the coats of the murderers, agreeing, supporting them. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They wouldn't leave. They wouldn't go. God's flashing green. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Guess what? They're going. God tried the easy way. He's allowing the hard way. Uh, except for the apostles. I've wondered why the apostles didn't leave. I think it's their integrity. They didn't want to abandon their young church. They were not afraid of suffering themselves. But everybody else ran from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Why did they run? The next two verses show us this crisis. Um, verse 2 and 3. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... The future Apostle Paul. He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. To be honest, I think I would flee that area. So if there's 15,000 believers in Jesus Christ, and it keeps growing, by the way, it's getting beyond 15,000. Uh, some of the early estimates say the church eventually grew to over 250,000 in that area. Um, but 15,000 people. How many households? Thousands of households, banging on doors, knocking down doors, dragging away mom and dad, sons and daughters, and throwing them in jail. Don't you think at some point you would go, should we move? Should we flee? And of course, what these people are doing is they're, uh, it's not said here, but I'm just going to guess at human nature. How could God let this happen? That's my guess. Some of you, this is your situation. You're thinking, how could God let this happen? Has God been trying to guide you? And you've been unguidable recently? Flashing green, flashing yellow, flashing red. And he's allowed difficulty to get you going or to stop you in the very thing that you went right through that light. Is God trying to do that these days? The benefit, by the way, was they actually preached the gospel elsewhere. They fled and preached, verse 4 and 5. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. That was what they were supposed to do. God had called them to do it. They just need some help with hard times. Sometimes God helps us with hard times. Hard times only happen for two reasons. He's trying to grow us or guide us. That's it. Grow us more like Jesus. Guide you to either do or not do. As he desires. Therefore, those who were scattered around went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, who led a revival. Philip, one of the leaders, friend of Stephen, who got murdered. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. The city. And preached Christ to them. Here's the thing. When we have bad news happen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when is it ever really bad news? Romans 8, 28 is a promise for us to believe. This only applies to those who love God and have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. If that's not you, this doesn't apply to you yet. It can if you receive him. Okay, so we know that all things work together for good. It doesn't say everything is good. Everything is not good. There are bad things. But in the cake batter of life, bad things. Well, that's terrible. Good things. Neutral things. In the cake batter of life, 
all things can work together for good to those who love God, only those people, to those who are the called according to his purpose. If you believe this promise, and it is a promise, and I believe it, like when is bad news ever really bad news? He can use that for good, to grow you, to guide you. It kind of transitions, but if you believe this promise, we all have the initial freak out moment. Ah! This is a disaster! It's horrible! The world is caving in! We're all chicken little at this moment. Sky's falling. And then, what have I stopped believing? I stopped believing this? I've stopped believing this would be worked out for good. I just, I, I'm an unbeliever. God, I believe this again. I believe you'll, you'll use this for good. And it changes your soul from fear and unbelief to being curiously inquisitive. I wonder how God is going to use this. That is a terrible thing. That is horrific. That's a nightmare. But this promise is true. And I, last I checked, I do love God and I am the called according to his purpose. I wonder how God's going to use it to grow me and grow them. How's he going to use it to guide us? See, God guides you through circumstances. It happened to our own Doc Hunsley years ago. Doc Hunsley never wanted to be a pastor ministering to those with special needs and their families. Not on his plans. God guided him through circumstances. So Doc, the reason he call, he's called Doc Hunsley is he's an actual doctor. That's not his first name. Doc. Who names their kid Doc? And if you become a doc, then you're Dr. Doc. That'd be weird. So... He's an actual medical doctor. I joke with him, by the way, because the actual practicing doctor is his wife. He's no longer practicing medicine. Um, he, he's a walking medical mess, by the way, in so many ways. And he, he laughs and admits that. He's the one who says that. He lost a lung function years ago. I'm pointing, I, I don't know which, I think it's the left side. And the lawyers in his hospital said, you're done. You're too much risk. We're going to get sued if you, uh, if you actually work here. Lost his career. Had a son, Mark. Mark was born uniquely gifted with special needs. And then Mark was promoted to heaven, as he says. Or Mark died. How many people respond to those three things? Losing your career. Losing your body, lung function. And losing your career. And a child with special needs. And a child with special needs who died. How could God do this? That's how many respond. Unless you're curiously inquisitive. How... How are you going to use this? Well, we now have a ministry that's impacting, no, I kid you not, thousands of people, families. Ministry to those with special needs. He never would have gone, done, done it, but God used circumstances to guide him. He knows what he's made for. He knows what he's made for. Okay, so God guides us through circumstances. Is he guiding you to that miserable thing to try to grow you more like Christ? Or guide you. Second way that God guides us often is he guides us through leaders. He guides us through leaders. Now, this is a less popular way. I mean, we're not in the East. In the East, by the way, we're the part of the Western world. The Eastern world is very much into. They are down with being led by their leaders. Authority, God using those kind of authority. Who are the leaders in our lives? Teachers, parents, coaches, managers, bosses. Husbands, pastors, political leaders, 
Those are the ones that God has placed in positions of leadership. Um, now, in the West, in the East, they, they're down with that. In the West, not so much. We like being led. Thank you very much. Don't tell me what to do. And so, but yes, God, God guides through leaders. He does guide through leaders. And in the story, by the way, a great, so Phil heads north from Jerusalem. Phil ends up in the city of Samaria, preaches Christ like he should have. Revival breaks out because of Philip. In Jerusalem, the leaders are very suspicious. They've not lost their racism and bigotry. And they're like, what is going on in that city? Peter and John go, but they don't go. They submit to their leaders. Don't miss this. Two of the best friends of Jesus in the world didn't just run off on their own. Peter and John submitted to leadership. You see this, by the way, in Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Acts 8, verse 14 says, um, Now when the apostles, that leadership team, who were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they, the leaders, sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, you could argue that the two best friends in the world of Peter and John had every right. They're apostles for goodness sake. Can't you just go off and just, you're led by God yourself. No, no, no. They made a team decision. The apostles, they sent Peter and John. See, even Peter and John submitted to leadership. We exist through the process of me submitting to Christian leadership. So years ago, I was exploring with my pastor. I set an appointment with my pastor. I asked him his perspective. I'm thinking about being a potential pastor or missionary. Which one are you thinking? Which Both, either. He said, well, I affirm you could do either one, but I really see you more being a pastor to send missionaries versus being a missionary. That's kind of how I view you. That sent me on that path. I was led, guided through leaders. When we started years ago, we announced it. All you people, I'm in. I am in. And then disaster hits the church. One of the pastors was stealing money, which is never a good thing. Never a good thing. Oh, and then sleeping with women. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. I'm telling you, I called, I'll never forget this call. I called Jeff and I said, hey, um, if, if this is not a good time and, and we don't start this church, tell me what we're doing. I knew God wanted me to start Grace. Knew it. Knew it. But if Jeff said no or not yet, not now, I would have submitted to my leader. Why? Because my God is bigger than Jeff. How big is your leader? See, my God is much stronger than Jeff and smarter than Jeff. My God could change Jeff's mind. That's God's problem. People ask my wife. My wife's a great example of this. She's like, because um, here's, the, here's the reality. It's, it's surprising, shocking. It's occasionally, I'm wrong and she's right. I, I can't, it's, it's shocking. There are times that Kathy Howie is right and I am wrong. And I'm just as shocked as you. Um, and they asked Kathy, like, how do you, when you're, because let me tell you about my wife. My wife is sharp. She has leadership intuition. She follows Christ. She's a fantastic leader. And she knows the right thing. And I'm wrong sometimes. And they say, how do you follow him when you know he's wrong? She goes, that's his problem with God. God will take care of Tim. How big do you think Tim Howie is? Seriously. The reason we don't submit is we really don't believe God is bigger than our leader. That is why. That's why I don't. 
Because you really be God's bigger than your leader. You go right over their head to their boss, Jesus. And you complain to his boss or her boss and say, they're doing wrong. It's your deal, your problem. Because they went, by the way, they checked this out. They spoke, Peter and John submitted to leaders and then spoke to all these villages of Samaritans. Look, he says in verse 25. So when they had testified um, and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. All these villages get the gospel because those two guys submitted to their leaders. Peter and John. You say, well, you know, I'm so much smarter than my leader. That may well be. You may be much smarter, more gifted than your leader. Just like Jesus in his home. Jesus submitted. Read Luke. He submitted to his idiot stepfather and his sinful mom. I know because Jesus was smarter than his stepdad. He was in a blended family and submitted to his stepdad, who he was smarter than. And his mom, who he was much smarter than. And she's a sinner by nature. And he submitted to both of them. Jesus modeled, you can submit to people that you're smarter than. And you know the truth. Now, you don't submit to sin. When they want you to sin, you, don't, you, you say no. But being stupid is not sinful. You can submit to stupid. You don't have to submit to sinful. Don't submit to sin. Submit to stupid. After you say, this is not smart. After you say, I don't agree with this, this is not smart, this is not wise, I think it's the wrong direction, that's what good team members do. Hebrews 13, 17 says how God views, how he judges leaders and team members, and every one of us are leaders at different levels. Every one of us are team members. We all have multiple hats. How does God evaluate team members? How does God evaluate leaders? He holds the leaders accountable for the decision. Was it a good decision or bad decision? The leader alone is accountable in God's mind. And did the leader care for and sacrifice for and watch over the team? That's what leaders are accountable for. Whether they do it or not is irrelevant. That's what he evaluates them on. Then team members, what's he evaluate them? One question. Were you a joy to lead or a pain in the rump to lead? That's all I'm asking. That's it. When your, when your leader gets a phone, you call your leader. Does your leader go, oh. Or does the leader go, yes, I can't wait to have this conversation. That's all it is. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey those who rule over you. Every one of us, me included, we have people who are over us at different levels, different venues. Be submissive. Submission is the attitude. Obedience is the action. For they, the leaders, are supposed to be watching out for your souls. That's what he judges leaders on. Did you watch out for them? Or was it about you? How about those decisions you made or did not make? As those who must give account, come here leaders, give an account of how you cared for them, of how the decisions you made, of what you did or did not do. That's what I hold the leaders accountable for. And then for team members, let them, the leader, do so with joy and not with grief. That'd be unprofitable for you team members. Okay, team members, how'd you do? Well, let's take a survey of your leader. Was this person a joy to lead or a pain in the rump to lead? Well, they just wouldn't say their opinion. That's kind of a pain in the rump. Not good. Well, that person just cut me off. That person ignored my leadership. Not good. Not good. So, God guides through leaders. Could it be that God's guiding you through your leaders? And you're smarter than them, and you know the right decision. How big do you think your leader is? Go right over their head and talk to Jesus. Tell them. Inform them. 
As long as it's not sinful, that's God's problem. God will take care of it. How big is your God? Like God guides through uh, circumstances. He guides through leaders. He also guides through uh, promptings, direct promptings. This is the one we all kind of want. We all, God, want to speak to us directly. He does do that. How does God speak to people? He speaks to people. Sometimes it, 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 it's like a feeling. Some One of my friends describes it. I don't hear sentences. I just kind of feeling. Well, that's God speaking to you. Or a voice. Or words. Or an idea. Or an image. Or even music sometimes. God can guide you and speak to you in various ways. In the story, uh, Philip is leading this revival in Samaria with an unreached people group. One of the most amazing things in history. And God guides him to do something that sounds crazy. Leave the revival. Travel back to Jerusalem. And then head on the road back to Gaza. And somewhere down here in the middle of nowhere. That's where I want you. Living by faith means that sometimes God will ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. Leave a revival, go to the middle. I am the leader of this revival. Why would I do that? I uh, met a lady at North Overland Park uh, just yesterday at the, at the churchwide serve day. Grabbed me in the hallway and said, Tim, I got to tell you a story. Three years ago, God led me and my husband prompted us to leave our church. And we found Grace Church. We're attending the South Overland Park campus. And for three years, we love Grace Church. We appreciate Grace Church. We don't know why we're at Grace Church. We're driving, you know, 15 minutes down here, 10, 15 minutes. Why are we down? Why are we not finding a church closer to us? I don't get it for three years. And then she almost, she almost grabbed me and shook me. Uh, Then we heard about the North Overland Park campus opening. And we heard it was the old Unity Church building. And we heard it's 103rd in Antioch and Tim. That's my neighborhood. My neighborhood. My neighbors can walk there. It was three years of her not knowing why she followed God. Why give her a green light and then a red light? Sometimes we don't, we never see those moments until we're willing to step out before it works out on paper. Before I know all the steps. Before, what if, what if it does, what if it fails? That's not the success. Success is whether you follow. It's God's job. His, for the success and failure. And so he does this. Look in Acts chapter 8, down around verse, uh, verse 20. I'll flash up on the screen. Help me here. 26. There you go. There we go. Uh, Acts 8, 26. Uh, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Leave a revival. Leave your job, go to the middle of nowhere, and just camp out on this road. That makes no sense. He never would have seen God do the miracle without him taking the risk that did not make sense. So he goes down there, sees this caravan, this Ethiopian leader, a Jewish Ethiopian man returning. He has Isaiah, and God prompts him to go, run to his chariot, and talk to him. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He invites him up into the chariot. They continue on headed toward Ethiopia, toward Gaza and Ethiopia. And then this moment, the most sacred moment of life when someone gives their life to Jesus. This is happening here. It's happening on that, uh, on that caravan. Verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? What is the prerequisite to baptism? Believing. 
Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, there it is. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Sometimes God guides us in ways prompt. It don't make sense. It just doesn't make Leave a revival, go to the middle of nowhere. That guy is an Ethiopian Jewish man. That guy, Ethiopia is our Christian nation. That guy headed back. Philip responded to a prompting that made no sense. Uh, it's a promise, by the way. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led or guided by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. How do I know if I'm a child of God? I don't know if I'm a child of God. Here's how you know. One of the ways. Are you guided by the Spirit? Then you are. If you're not, one of two things are happening. you got too much earwax spiritually. He is trying to guide you, un- not listening and unguidable. Or you're not a child of God. That's an option, too. Don't know which it is for you, but one of those two situations. I was talking to one other guy this weekend. Um, years ago, he made a decision um, that hurt his family deeply. It was connected to a church. A senior pastor promises hurt his family incredibly deeply. Um, I was talking to him recently, and I said, how's it going? He said, I feel like God is generating some sort of move in me, and I'm scared. I don't want to hurt my family. And I said, I get that. I get that. I said, what if, uh, it said, do you think God is speaking to you? Is he guiding you? I think he is, and I think I'm trying to ignore it. I said, I get that too. There are times God's prompting and guiding, and I, 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 I want to close my ears. I said, what if, what if God is actually guiding you and you take that step and it ends badly again? If God is pleased, is that enough? Guys, that's the question. If we hold up on following God only with certainty, only everything will work out, only if we'll never experience pain, you'll never live by faith. Go time, faith time, is taking the gospel around the world. And sometimes it hurts. It's part of growing and being guided. Is God guiding you? Is he, guide, is he guiding you to go or to stay? Are you seeing the green, the yellow, the red? Please take that step. Here's our role, we believe, in the larger kingdom, Grace Church, our vision and our long-term strategy. Our vision is to help everyone become an outward-focused follower of Jesus. It starts at the back end. Followers of Jesus, then you help them care about somebody else, outward-focused. Then they help others, they actually serve, so that others become followers. It's kind of a cycle. Followers who care about others, who help others. Followers who care about others, help others. It's a cycle. Long-term strategy of Grace Church is to plant up to 100 churches and sites in 20 years. It started two years ago. Uh, that's down to, as of September 97, in 18 years. Why do we do that? Because statistically, new churches and sites are better at making newer disciples. And so, uh, it's an exciting weekend for us. We're going to pray for, commission, and bless our North Overland Park campus. So, at our, each of our locations in Olathe and the venue, uh, and in South Overland Park, if you're part of the North Overland Park campus team that's going to be going out there, just come up on stage wherever you're at. Uh, go up on stage in Olathe, go up on stage in the venue, and our leaders will gather around you as well as we pray for you, uh, and commission you. So, when church planters show up in my office after being confirmed, dude, you're always here first. Emerson is the man. 
Uh, can you hold this for a second? All right. I need it back in just a second. Don't drop it. It's the gospel. Don't drop it. Um, I give church planters um, a, a choice of pieces of gravel to pick from. And I say that church planting is like this piece of gravel. It is smaller than you think. It is harder than you think. And it's less important to people's eyes, but it's the way Jesus changes the world in making disciples, loving people. And then at the end of the process, I'll take it back now. And you can join it in a second. Um, this is Chris and Lindsay Fetters, their family and their, their team that's going to be helping them join uh, and start on Sunday, September 30th, our North Overland Park campus. I was handed this years ago by my pastor, Jeff, said this, this represents the gospel that's been passed down for 2,000 years and the Bible. Please take the gospel and do not drop the baton, do not drop the word of God and pass it on. And when leaders leave and we send them, uh, we hand the baton. So you can join me in holding this baton if you want, my man. There you go. Do not drop this baton. This is an awesome looking crew. And I, I want to say, how, guys, I'm so proud of you and excited Look how God's going to use you uh, in that community. Oh, yeah. he's grabbing the Bible. You notice that? And the reason I told him, the Bible, don't drop the Bible. They're going to try to take it from your hands. So I'm proud of you. I love you guys. I cannot wait to see. There are so many people, their lives are going to be changed. They have no idea what's coming. They're hurting, they're looking for something, and God's going to use you. I'm so excited for it. I'm excited for Chris and for Lindsay. And you're, Emerson, you're the man. You're holding on to this thing. Don't drop, don't drop the baton. And so I'm going to, if you extend your hand, kind of metaphorically lay your hands on them as well, for locations, that is a symbol of us asking God to lay his hand of protection and guidance on them. In each service, I try to encourage them with a different element. I just want, want to point out that in the book of Revelation, success you never learn from those seven churches how big their church is. We have no idea how many people are going to that church. Success is not based on that. It's based on your faithfulness to him. And so even though it kind of feels good to have bigger numbers and things like that, and it's definitely a sugar rush in Christianity and those things, realize faithfulness is, is where it's at. And just be faithful to the Lord and keep following him. So let me pray. I'll pray and then I'll turn it over to your hosts uh, at each locations and they'll pray for you as well. We'll commission them in each of our locations. Lord, Thank you so much for our North Over the Park campus uh, after an entire year of looking for locations, just having the Unity Church building come available at the very moment we were at a loss of what in the world do we do? <laughs> Where do we go? Even your hand upon that is amazing. God, have your hand of protection on this, uh, this man and this entire team, on the, the marriages represented here, on the relationships represented here. And we do pray, God, that new disciples will be made because we, we love you first and foremost. And we love our neighbor as ourself. The most important commandment is love. It's love. It's all about love. And may, may we share the love of Christ. Bless this team as they begin September 30th. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.